Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little. It's a podcast. We talk about musicals on the podcast. It's a musical theater podcast. I, as always, am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz, who's my special friend today. My name is Nava. Hi, Nava. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for doing this. Of course. So for those of you who have been waiting for this episode, you might recall it is non-Broadway November. I like to think of November as like a state of mind because I just go through every day and I'm like, I really just want to live every day as if it were November 2016. But <laughs> we, we are going to carry non-Broadway November into December now that the dust has settled a little bit. So Nava, why don't you tell us what our second musical is that we are covering that has never played Broadway? It is... Dogfight. Yeah, it's Dogfight. 2012 musical that played off-Broadway. It's played a couple of other places, including Off West End, which always sounds like weird to me. It's an adaptation of a film from 1991 of the same title, starred River Phoenix. Rest in peace, River Phoenix. So to begin, uh, Nava, what's your personal background with the musical? Like mine is I got super into the music and then I watched bootlegs on YouTube and that's how I've seen the show. So just being familiar with the show. Yeah, so I basically found Dogfight through a Pandora playlist of mine, but I should have known it earlier because I was actually in a acapella group in college that did a song from Dogfight. And what I song had, did you do? We did Hey Good Looking. Uh, but at the time, <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird. I don't think <laughs> other people picked up on the context. So we we did that song, um, but I had never seen or listened to any other song from Dogfight. I truly didn't know the context of the song. And then I actually stumbled upon it again um, when I was listening to a Pandora playlist one day. And it, the song was Come to a Party. And I really liked mm-hmm. it. So I looked up um, the music, listened to the whole album, and then decided to to see if I can find it on YouTube, um, which I eventually did and watched it, and it was great. God bless bootleggers. Um, a little more context about the musical. The book is by, I don't know if it said Peter Duchin, 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 but D-U-C-H-A-N is the book writer. Music and lyrics are by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Uh, this is our first Pasek and Paul musical, which isn't all that unusual because they're young dudes since the beginning of their career. But as of recording this, I mean, Dear Evan Hansen opened on Broadway last night. So they're big names now. The interesting thing about Pasek and Paul that I will say is that they're very insistent that they both do the music and the lyrics, which is not the conventional team up. It's not one does one and the other does the other. And they are sort of a little bit mysterious about the way the sausage is made. Like, they're just like, we did it all together. And it's like, what, both of you, like, one of you took one line, one of you took the other and alternating. They're like, we wrote both. So. Yeah, I saw, like, a backstage uh, video on it. And they were saying how they, like, basically just went with whoever had an idea. They didn't, like, come up with necessarily like, the melody first or the lyrics first. It was just, like, whoever had an idea could throw it out there. Allegedly. Yeah. If, if it were, <laughs> like, listen, I'm not complaining because they're amazingly talented and this is a kind of show that, like, I don't even care if the show's any good because the score's good. The show's not bad. Decently good. So the show opens with a framing device that I'm not really sure is necessary. But it's 1967, and we meet our first protagonist, Eddie Birdlace, which is a stupid name. And he's on a bus to San Francisco, and 
we get the prelude, Take Me Back, which is already so pretty. The score is so pretty. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's haunting. Like a lot of this musical is just like haunting. And we also sort of see uh, Rose, who will be our other main character, sort of singing this song. And we sort of see these images of other soldiers. And we've just established that Eddie is a Marine. And like, I'm not going to say spoilers because we're going to spoil the entire show. But it is so clear from the first scene that they are all dead. I mean, one, it's they're like, this is a Vietnam musical. And it's like, mm, and then all the soldiers came home and it was totally fine. Yeah, you kind of get the feeling from the beginning that it's not. Yeah, it's like they're singing weird and like depending on the production, there's like weird backlighting. So but we go into the song Some Kind of Time because all of a sudden we're sucked back to 1963. The last time that Eddie was in San Francisco, which was the night before he and his fellow Marines were deployed for Vietnam. So keep in mind for the rest of the musical that they're never going to be happy again. I love Some Kind of Time. I like Some Kind of Time. I wouldn't say I love it. I love it. I liked, I would probably say that I liked um, Hey Good Looking More, which is like very soon after. I like Some Kind of Time more. Okay, that's fair. Well, so it's them just singing about how they're going to have their last night on the town. We meet... Eddie's best friends, which they he sort of alluded to, they call themselves the three B's because their name begins with B, all of them, because they're real smart, the Marines. <laughs> they also, in a minute we get, it's not on the cast recording, We Three B's, which is a song where they sing about how they're B's. Oh yeah. It's so stupid. It's amazing. What are you talking about? It just doesn't it just doesn't quite jibe with their like over-the-top macho-ness. Because yeah. like their their bromance is like very like yeah. heterosexual, like manly type of bond. It's, and the three we three bees is like we like to buzz. It's very, Yay! it's pretty campy. It's like more Boy Scouts than Marines. I would yeah, say. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like a little sarcastic, but to me, I'm just like. But some kind of time is upbeat. It's really efficient um, in the sense that not only do we get exposition about like the context and like where they're coming from at this cultural point in America and personally, but Eddie has the one point where he sings about how he doesn't even believe that the life he had before he was a Marine was even real and that it was awful compared to this. And so considering that Eddie is going to be spending a lot of the musical putting up a front and either projecting or straight up lying about his background, that we have this one admission early on where he's saying, I'm the pride you never thought you'd feel. And it's like, all right, we get why he's a Marine and why he's going to be overcompensating for the rest of the musical. But yes, over the song, they do establish that there's going to be a dogfight. What is a dogfight, Nava? The dogfight of the title? Are they going to go out and buy dogs and no. make them kill each other? No, it's worse. I don't it's, know. It's really it's, worse than it's animal really, no, it, it just, So the dogfight is basically where people will put in 50, 60, 75 bucks, and then they'll try to put together a party. Anything that's um, left over for the party goes to prize money for uh, the person that brings the ugliest date. Did you know this? No. That's what this musical is about. It's awful. So, like, I don't know how much the musical is trying to make us like these characters because – Eddie, you and I can debate how likable he is. And so I would say that I would put that as middling successful. And the rest of the Marines, I do not care about. No, they're terrible. They're all awful people. They're all terrible people. And I'm I'm just like, 
okay, so you were like a vulnerable like teenager who was insecure in his masculinity and decided to grab a gun and join the Marines. That's not compelling enough to make me like you or forgive you for what it is you do. I agree. Like I would say that none of the other characters, I mean, Eddie goes through like some changes during the course of the musical, but like everyone else, I can I can do I can do without. This musical is at least I will give it this. The musical for the first huge chunk moves at a really brisk pace because yeah. we established the rules of the dogfight and now they're off to find their dates, which is running around the town of town of San Francisco, hitting on random women that they think are ugly enough. And the song is Hey Good Looking, which is a fun song. Okay, first of all, I will say is this musical has a lot of really good vocalizing. Right. There's a lot of good like na-na-nas and doop-de-doops and like various songs. That's like songs, a theme throughout. Which is, a, I think, a nod to the era. I mean, the first music in the song is Rose sort of doing this. So Hey Good Looking has some ladies shabopping sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. So I have to say... We've come a long way as a culture, I like to think, in a short amount of time in certain respects. Yeah. This musical is from 2012. This musical is from four years ago. There is no way, I would hope, that a musical would have the transphobic joke that this song has. Where essentially Eddie is going to pick someone up and she responds to him with like a deep voice. Yeah. And like that's the joke. And I was surprised that they kept that in there. I mean, I haven't seen the movie but I think that joke is in the movie, and I'm surprised that they made the choice to keep it. Yeah, it's an offensive joke, and it has nothing to do with anything except to be there to be offensive. I agree. Well, Eddie is having a difficult time picking up a date, as they all are, so he decides to pop into a diner to get a cup of coffee, and he meets the waitress there, and her name is Rose. And she's sitting in the side uh, playing guitar and starting to sing a little song. And he starts talking to her, and she's awkward. She's, like, awkward and plump, which she's, like, good enough. Mm-hmm. And he tries to get to invite her to the party and sweet talk her. And she says no, and number one, he's uncomfortably pushy. <laughs> no, I agree with that. But he does sing Come to a Party with Me. Which is also just very pushy. Like, that whole song. I mean, but he tries to argue that she needs to like take a chance and get out of her like little bubble but he's still like very pushy song's good though song is great and even though like we can dislike what he's doing it gives them really good character voices Mm -hmm. this is a good time to bring up as any even though i don't want to talk about cast members too much one Lindsay mendez the original rose is perfect she's she's just amazing Derek clenna who plays eddie This is like the third time he's come up on this podcast, and this fits into my overarching theory that the theme of his career is to play like the hot or popular young guy romancing the weird, awkward girl. Because Lindsay Mendez and Derek Klana, after this, they went on to star in Wicked together. And in Carrie, he's the popular guy who asks Carrie on a date. So... He finally convinces her to go to the party, and when she runs off to change, he has a little reprise of come to a party with me about how excited he is about how ugly she is. It's remarkable that considering that how dumb he is as a person, that he's also so good at feigning empathy and compassion and ultimately not feeling it. Yeah, it's crazy that in come to a party... He sings the words, look in these eyes, they're not going to hurt you. That's horrible. Just look in these eyes. So we get the next song, which is just like, there's parts of this musical that are difficult for me to watch. Right. And like, essentially the next like 20 to 30 minutes 
is difficult for me to watch. Um, She sings Nothing Short of Wonderful, which is, I don't know if I would call it a patter song, but it's her in her room getting dressed ready, expressing that she's excited. I'm obsessed with this song. Why are you obsessed with it? Because, first of all, I think um, Lindsay Mendez does an amazing job of expressing how the excitement of that song it makes it all the more heartbreaking, like, later. Yeah. There's parts of the song that are just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, yeah. oh, my gosh. Um, over and over. Like, it's just really cute. She, she's just a very likable character. She freaks and I, out at her mom about it a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I was, like, a little weird. I was surprised that she would tell her mom that she's so excited to go to this party to make out with a boy. That's and her fine. mom's just like, okay. okay. <laughs> well, her mom is like, you should be careful because, like, you just met this man. And she's like, no, but it could be great. And then it's not great and it's very sad. Well, the next scene is an interlude where we meet Marcy. Shout out to Annalie Ashford, the She's original Marcy. amazing. Girl has a Tony. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that one of the other three Bs, I don't care which one, the other one who isn't Bernstein, has hired a sex worker and has agreed to split the winnings with her if she shows up essentially looking as ugly as possible and, like, gets him the prize. And they argue about it and she haggles real good and he agrees to her terms. So back to Eddie and Rose, and Rose has just showed up in the dress that she's going to the party in. And she's the cutest. She was holding up dresses during Nothing Short of Wonderful that would have been fine. Yeah. And she, like, went for the ugliest dress in the pile. I love it, though. She's, like, beaming in this dress. She thinks that she looks incredible, and it's so cute to, like, watch her feel so pretty. The dress is like, so she mentions wearing it to as like a christening or something. It looks like she wore it at like first communion. Like it's just like it's puffy. big, it's puffy. puffy, like maroonish pink, like cut to like the ankles. It's cut to what that, that one spot on the leg that is literally appealing on no one. And there's like puff sleeves at the top and also her hair is like her hair is piled kind of high is like kind of Tracy Turnblad yes which very is Tracy like, mm. Turnblad and, I, she yeah. kind of looks like a cupcake but like I find it so endearing she does look like a cup a red velvet cupcake so he's bringing her to the party first of all he tries to put lipstick on around the outside of her lips to make her look more ugly to make her I look know more ugly, and she like fixes and like yeah he definitely doesn't think of her as a person Right. Up until right before that they, they head into the party. They have a conversation about the war, which yeah. is very important to both of their characters, I think. Right. Well, it's early on in the war, and it's so early in the war that, like, it's 63, Kennedy is still president, and there are the Marines that are, like, the first people being sent out yeah. over there. They think they're just going to be advisors, like, and, like do like, a year and, like, come back. Yeah, but then also he's like, I can't wait to shoot people. Yeah, which is, I mean, the uh, significance, you could see, like, the huge difference between um, Rose's, like, approach to the war. She's like, you're not scared, and he is very, like, macho and, like... Yeah, I mean, also we've gotten by this point that Rose really identifies with, like, peacenik hippie culture. Not hippie culture, but, like, she loves, like, Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and, like, she wants to join the Peace Corps and she wants to grow out her hair. And I'm like, oh, you're going to be a hippie. You just don't know it yet. So there's also the thing of the fact that there's supposed to be two people making this connection. And I get that it has to be a slow burn, but it's like you two are from different planets. Yeah. And you see the world in fundamentally different ways. And so after that conversation, she basically expresses to him how excited she is that he chose her to take to this party and he like 
in that moment, I think, sees her as kind of a person for the first you time. You see the moment and where he, he's a little bit guilty. And he feels bad, and he actually says to her, like, let's do something else. Let's not go to the party. And she thinks that he is embarrassed of her and doesn't want to take her to the party. So they end up going. There's a little reprise of like off to a party with him because then we were like, oh, by the way, this isn't just happening to her. It's happening to a bunch of women right now. Um, also, I think there's a little reprise of Nothing Short of Wonderful, which is like, yeah, where she's like singing it to him of like, oh, this is going to be great. <sighs> so they get into the party. There's a cheesy lounge singer who sings like a few different songs. There's one I think that's called like Blast Off and one that's called like It's Just a Party. It's like a string of really bad, forgettable, intentionally cheesy lounge numbers, but we're only going to have to talk about one of them. The party is awkward, but like Rose is awkward too. She knows she's with Marines and she's like, you know what? I love protest music. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, she's like, do you know the song We Shall Overcome? And they, like, make a dirty joke about it, but it's like, girl, you realize that they're, like, about to go, like, interfere with, like, another country's government. Yeah. Like, so, like, the party is, like, kind of being a disaster, and you can see him feeling bad, and also, like... The Marines, like, even though they're, like, all doing the thing where they're indulging these women and pretending they're on dates with them, are also, like, not having any respect for them. Yeah, not at all. Also, Rose has never been to a party or had or drank before, and they're plying her with alcohol. Also, there's a Native American character, one of the dates, yeah, and I was which trying is to not figure okay. out, I was like, I'm pretty sure this actor they're is in brown face. <sighs> so the final judgment of the party is when everyone slow dances with their dates and checks out everyone else. And we have the song That Face, which you do not like. Oh, I do not like that song. It's not supposed to be like good, but the thing about it that's difficult if well done is that as the lounge singer is crooning, the Marines are like belting insults over the music. Right. At like how ugly she is. Which I think probably also plays into my dislike of it. It's just my discomfort with – it is intentionally a bad song um, because it's supposed to be very cheesy where they're making these, like, insults at these women, which is obviously very uncomfortable to, like, watch. So all in all, it's, like, a, pretending to be a bad song, but it's, like, these horrible insults that you just never want to hear made about anyone. Right. Well, meanwhile, Rose has to run to the bathroom to vomit because she has had two drinks. And in the bathroom, we see that Marcy has won the dogfight and that her date has an argument with her where he tries to get out of his share. And he gives her the money, but he is real mean about it. Surprise, surprise. And when Rose sees Marcy, Marcy's so annoyed at the way she's been treated in terms of getting her share of the money. Marcy's so mad that she tells Rose what was going on. Rose is very upset, but we get the title song, which is Dogfight. Best song. Such a good song. Such a good song. Okay, you go first what you like about the song, and then I have my spiel. Okay, uh, so I really like, her name is Annalee, correct? Annalee, yeah. Annalee. Well, spelled Annalee, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah. I mean, she does an amazing job singing the song, um, but the energy of the song, the energy behind the music is incredible. The tension in the song is great. The way it moves is wonderful. I think it's just like the entire feel of the song. Um, and it also makes you, really tugs at your heartstrings for Rose because at a certain point in the song, she interjects with, 
yet again, like a brief yeah. moment of positivity, even at the height of the show where she's, you know, supposedly. What you is know, she just saying that's out. positive there? So, oh, yeah, the, no, they're the slime who yeah. hurt, who hurt nice girls yes. for a real nice time. Yeah, so yeah. basically, she. Making, yeah, also, she's make, like, Marcy, you must feel yeah, terrible. Yeah, exactly. Like, she thinks of Marcy first, which is really admirable, and she tries to, like, build Marcy up, being like, you don't have to be this way. Right. So that's why I love the song. One, like, vocally, it's two women in duet, which is something that just doesn't happen enough anywhere. So the song is called Dogfight and is therefore about this contest of who's the ugliest. But they're building it into this other metaphor where Marcy's saying to Rose you have to learn to bite like a dog, even though they're referring to a competition where they were pitched against each other in the worst way. It's a song about building each other up against the guys who did that to them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think it's like a great, like, I don't know if feminist anthem is what I would call it. No, it's a really powerful song. But it's really, really powerful. And the song ends with Rose hitting Eddie in the face. Which is great. Which is great. But then she she says some drastic things. She says that I hope you and all the other Marines die overseas. Oh, yeah, she sure does. Mostly effective. Yeah. Rose goes home to lick her wounds and get ready for bed because what else is she going to do but go to bed? And she sings pretty funny. And I'm destroyed. It's It always makes me cry. It's this mix of like sadness and anger and resignation. Like the key change always gets me. Yeah. Where she goes that, I'm like, aren't you funny, pathetically naive? It's yeah. just like. Yeah. So you've taken this character who like one of her, I guess like most forthright qualities is her like positivity. And she's basically just at a point where she tries to find, like, some moment in the night that she's thankful for and grateful for. And she's just like, it's not enough to make me feel better in this moment. Each disaster has an upside. You can find one if you try. You were dancing. You were... I can't hit the nose. Dancing. (laughs) You were dancing with a guy. Oh, God. And I'm just like, girl. No, the moment when she says people are just cruel... That's the moment that always gets me because she's such a likable character and just to hear her so distraught, it's it's, re- it's really hard to listen to and it's very well, well played. And this is our finale act one, which is like a good place for a finale act one, except there's a weird moment where then it goes back to Eddie on the bus four years later. And they're like, we're still on our way to San Francisco. And I'm like, what? We didn't need this framing device in the first place. And I didn't need to be reminded of this. And I don't want to see his stupid face. I don't care if this is like sad, older Eddie. Yeah. But Act 2 opens with the Marines in an arcade. They're on edge. And they're fighting with each other because like that's what they do. And also, in particular, Eddie is like really mad at the rest of them. And it's because he's mad at them and is mad at himself, but he's not emotionally intelligent enough to understand that's Mm -hmm. what happened. Turns out that uh, Bernstein is a virgin. I think I'm going to give like a little trigger warning for this. They decide he needs to lose his virginity before he goes overseas. So they go to hire a sex worker. And this is interspersed with Hometown Hero Ticker Tape Parade. Uh, Good song. Good song. But the whole song, this song itself, it's kind of dissonant and dark. Like, it mm-hmm. feels both upbeat and really creepy yeah. at the same time. I think part of that is that it's them imagining what it will be like when they return from Vietnam. 
and they think that they're going to be celebrated and there's going to be a parade for them because well, be, they think that they're just coming back after a year. Well, it's not just that. This is the early 1960s. These guys were like toddlers when soldiers came home from World War II. Yeah. Which is what did happen was they came home and they were and they were heroes and these kids think the same thing is going to happen to them. Like there's precedent. They've really bought into this stuff and also like the song is arguably laid on a little bit thick because us as like a contemporary audience are sitting there being like, oh, they're about to go off to Vietnam. Everyone knows those guys came home and A, were messed up and B, people hated them because the war was controversial. It's easy to condescend to these guys because they're jerks, but... Also, in particular, with this song, it might be like a little bit sort of like, look how stupid they are. Hmm. But it's it's still a good song. So they go to the sex worker and she says that she's finished for the night and has to cancel her appointment with Bernstein. And Bernstein's so mad that he throws her on the ground so he can rape her. And all of the other Marines like are helping him. And so Eddie steps in and stops them. And so shaken up, the sex worker gets up and is like, all right, and keeps their appointment. Um, It's still obviously super rapey. Oh, yeah. And the Marines aren't remotely likable, and I don't care that later we're going to get their, like, moments of vulnerability because at that point they all crossed a line. Yeah. There's really nothing they can do at this point to make me get on their side. So, like, Eddie's the only redeemable one, and he's on the fence. Right. Also, Bernstein takes, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, it was a very quick uh, appointment. Yeah, they're like, take your time. And then they sing a little, like, they sing, like, the last verse of Hometown Hero. Yeah. And then he comes back and they're like, you're a goddamn hero. And it's like, mm. But Eddie is so distraught that essentially he just, like, finds himself back at Rose's house. Mm-hmm. She happens to live above the diner. It's very convenient. And he convinces her to talk to him. And, of course, like, we are thinking, like, why is she still talking to him? Why is she going to want to go out with him? But the characters in the show are asking the same thing. So I think that it's sufficiently explained. It takes her several scenes to really explain what she's going through. She does tell him that Marcy was a plant. He tries to tell her that she was disqualified for being too pretty, even though he got a $25 honorable mention because she threw up. So, like, he's lying more to her now. Yeah. Which, like, I get that he doesn't want to hurt her feelings, but, like... Dude, he also says at one point, he's like, listen, like, I don't care what you look like. And she's like, I kind of wish you did. Like, I I wish you would have thought that I was pretty. So he asks her out on a date, just the two of them, just to dinner right now. He sufficiently convinces her it's not a trick or another dogfight or anything. And she goes and they walk and it's the song is first date last night. My favorite, hands down. It's not, it is not my favorite song in the show, but it is by, like, any measure one of the best songs in the show. Down to the fact. So once again, here it is with the vocalizing. They both go, like, bum, 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 bum. Should I harmonize with you right now? Well, if, if you can do her part. <laughs> but, like, they're both in harmony. Like, they're in harmony, but at the same time, there's, like, they're a little bit off rhythm with each other. Mm-hmm. And it does it in a way that sounds musically pleasing, but also communicates exactly the type of situation that they're in yeah Yeah. so it's like them sort of communicating with each other and then it's each of their inner monologues Mm -hmm. explaining a little bit how they're both like I don't really know why I'm doing this but like because they do have this level of chemistry yeah there's that part in the song where they say like People can surprise you or not oh yeah because people Um, can surprise you and then they also mention how 
Like the, the Rose would be sleeping I'd, you'd be, and I'd he'd be, be drunk. You'd be drunk if you had stayed. And then they talk about potentially missing out on like the opportunity. So I feel like they're and both in the same place. Of, they're both in the same place of I'm like just saying all not the knowing. You say. <laughs> they're like both at a point where they're um, they're feeling together that they're not knowing exactly why they're there, but they know that they'll feel like they're missing out on something if they stayed home. Yeah, and now given how disastrous the, their first like exchange was in terms of that they didn't communicate about anything and that we didn't get a sense of both of their personalities and like he was being phony and he like lied to her about liking folk music. Um, we see that Rose, who we struck us as this timid, awkward girl, is really spunky. Mm-hmm. Well, so they go to a fancy restaurant and he tries to yell his way in about being a Marine and she like lies about them eloping and her being pregnant to get them into this fancy restaurant. And it's really cute. She liked to show him that she can swear to. She like swears her order at the waiter. She takes back that she wants him to die. That's, yeah, that's a good start to so the it, date. So offici- <laughs> well, officially making it not her fault when everyone dies. And I think that their bonding is really believable. She confronts his behavior, which he doesn't seem to be used to, but she does it in a way that, like, is engaging with him. Yeah, I think that's, like, one of my favorite things about the way Rose's character is written because she does call people out. Like, she's extremely nice and kind and patient and optimistic, but when people do things that bother her, she'll say something. And he also, like, he opens up to her to the point that he tells her that his father left his family when he was young and he had had all these lies about his father. We see where the other Marines are at. So they're off getting tattoos of bees on their arms because they're real clever, these guys. And they're mad that Eddie isn't there. And this is the first time that they express vulnerability and they admit that they're afraid of Vietnam. And there's a kind of sad reprise of Hometown Hero Ticker Tape Parade. And... Had they not done some extremely atrocious things, I would feel bad for them in this moment and be like, okay, they're scared little boys who are playing a big game, but they do it in a way that is very destructive to other people, so I've stopped caring. I agree. So Eddie and Rose continue to have a nice date. She takes him to look at the San Francisco skyline. It comes up he's leaving in the morning, which she did not know. Okay, so, like, I opened my mouth to say, like, the name of the song that she sings now, and it chill ran down my spine. This is how much I love this song. Before It's Over is not only far and away my favorite song in this musical, one of my favorite songs ever. Wow. Like, I love me an epiphany musical theater song. She sells it. It works perfect for this character that we've come to love and trust. So it's Rose just having a song where she's like, this terrible thing happened to me tonight, but... I'm having a good time here with you. And it weirdly showed me that there is life outside of the tiny little bubble I've been in. You you know that she's looking over the gorgeous San Francisco skyline, which is, she says, she's never seen it not covered in fog before. So, like, when she's like, see a world beautiful and strange, you can, like, literally, she can literally see the world. And there's this, like, gorgeous imagery and the melody is so good. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a nice moment you really feel like Rose is like broken free of kind of her shyness in a way. Shyness is nice. Yeah. But shyness can stop you. Yeah. I really love this song. Um, The vocals are amazing. The music is incredible. And it's such a good song that essentially he agrees to go back to her place. (laughs) (laughs) Which by the way as we're going back to her place for the first time 
since we've heard her play a little bit in the guitar, we hear other, like the ensemble in the background singing Give Way that we're going to get to. And they get to her bedroom and he asks her to play this song and she plays Give Way. She has really good taste in music, by the way. She's mm-hmm. like, let's listen to the Kingston Trio. I'm like, he doesn't know any of this. You could just spend, instead of like, spending a passionate night together, you guys could just actually sit listening to records mm-hmm. for like the next six hours. So Give Way is supposed to be this like folk song inspired by, say, like Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie. And I think it's beautiful. I think she's, we, we were joking of like, what if it turned out she was a terrible songwriter? <laughs> but Give Way is beautiful. It has, it sounds really simple, right. but lovely. Right. And it has this nature imagery. And also it has, it's imagery that is a metaphor that doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> I'm like, who's the bird who has the broken wing? Is it her or is it him because he wants someplace safe and warm? Are they both the bird with the broken wing? They're, it doesn't matter. They're both the bird. They're, they're both, both the bird. But just like the, the refrain of like, give way, give way. It's just really, really pretty. And in musical theater, I tend to be less forgiving. But since the song is like a song within a song, I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, you got to give way. <laughs> this bird bird scared to fly proud to try so then they kiss and then they undress facing away from each other which is so cute that scene is adorable yeah they have an awkward makeout, and it's so gentle and sweet and then they hook up as the ensemble takes over give way and they're having they're gonna have sex and there's this moment where she wants to turn off the light and he's like no i want to see you very sweet i don't want to give him too much credit because it's like yeah you want to see her because she's beautiful Because, like, at no point in this musical has she been ugly. So the next day he gets up. He's going to sneak off. He has to, at, like, 5 in the morning, get to the ship to take him overseas. She gives him her address, says, write to me. And then he never does. Well, yeah, okay, we'll get to that because I'm (laughs) actually going to defend him. And so there's a reprise of some kind of time. I don't know the terminology for this, but the melody works a little different where it goes down and stuff. Like, instead of stateside, it's stateside. That was like not the correct notes, but you get what the but you get, <laughs> I see what you see you're the effect saying. that I'm yes. going for yeah. is that is that it's this is like a dark messed up version of on the town yeah where it's like they've had their their night of leave and now they have to go back to the ship and he goes back to his friends and he tells them that he spent the night with a married woman Bolin Boland um Marcy's date yeah um takes him aside and like essentially they call each other out. And they have this sort of mutually assured destruction where it's like, all right, well, I won't tell people that you hired Marcy to win the dogfight if you don't tell people that I spent the night with Rose. Which is terrible. Okay. Because you think he does all of this work to, like, change himself. You think he's had, like, this meaningful moment where he's going to stop being so shallow. And then he was so shallow. So I don't think so. Because, first of all, we get a little reprise, a little bit more of Hometown Hero. There's a lot of, like, little snatches of songs here and there. And he tears up her address. The fact that he tears it up, it's right after his friend tells him, like, whatever, you had your night with this girl. We're the only people that are about to matter to you. He's scared and he's vulnerable and he tears it up as a survival mechanism. Mm is that he sees that the only thing that's going to keep him safe is having his friends back. And he got away with sort of like disappointing them the night before. But he has to be like all in because it's the camaraderie that he has learned as a way of life. And now is not the time to be breaking away from that. That's fair. Don't get me wrong. It was still a jerk thing to do. And he still should have written her letters. I think it's just disappointing because you're – 
it's right after this moment where you really feel like a shift has occurred. I think that Eddie has like this moment of like redemption where I'm just like, I, I'm liking you at this moment in time. And then when he gets back together with his bros, he's well, like, it's because he's ashamed of to say that he was with Rose. But it, it's the fact that Rose always has been an, a stronger person than her than him, and that she comes away from this night and she goes, "Oh my God, I have to live my life completely differently. This is all it took for me to like change my life and be the best me that I can be." And he's not as strong as she is. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So then we watch everyone die in Vietnam, which I think is totally unnecessary as a sequence. It they been, could have just cut to could, him yeah, on the to bus. him on the bus and being like, "All yeah. my friends died," and it would have been maybe even more powerful. Yeah, because it's not like everyone gets like a scene. It's just like you watch the ensemble, including like his friends, like drop like, off one I at a time. I feel like it was just a moment where they didn't trust the viewer to get it, even though he says it later. Yeah, he sure does. He sure does. Like, it, it is made very clear several times. And as I said, they made it clear from the top of the show that his friends were dead because they looked kind of ghostly and saying kind of ghostly. And he was sad and alone on a bus as a Vietnam veteran. Yeah. Well, so now he is haunted by ghosts because even though they died and, like, went off stage, they, like, pop back up on stage to, like, be spooky and ghosty. So he gets to San Francisco and he has no friends, no family, and he's sort of combo haunted by the ghosts of his friends and sort of constantly hearing Rose's song over and over. And like also like people are mean to him because he's a Vietnam veteran. And also everyone is wearing flowier garments now because now it's 1967 mm-hmm. and it's San Francisco. So now he sings Come Back, which is his big 11 o'clock number about how sad he is that all his friends are dead. And it's so boring to me. There's a lot of belting in it that's unnecessary I feel I, well it's like because he's feeling things but that's the thing is that in a minute we're going to get him have this emotional breakdown with Rose it's like quiet and sad and sweet and that sells it so much more than him like belting out his angry sads and then he's like I replay it over and over again it's like yes we know because we keep seeing your dead friends over on stage left what I do like about the song is that during the entire show they're extremely like macho just like so proud and then at the end what i do feel like the song gives is that he's he's kind of like going through all the things he thought about what it was going to be like he talks about the bees and how they're supposed to sting and buzz then at the end he's just kind of like i thought it was going to be one way and it's really nothing like i thought it would yeah. be which i think i think it does serve a purpose But I guess through the power of love and ghostly memories, he manages to find his way to Rose's door. Yeah, I was confused about that. I mean, like, you know, he'd been there a couple of times, so he probably, you know, I'm sure he remembered, like, the part of town it was in at least. And And she's still living at home, which is very lucky for him. She looks great, though. She's looking fabulous. Yeah. She's, like, hit the hippie thing, but not too hard. And they have this moment where she's like, hey, you never wrote me. And I thought maybe you were dead. And he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, I forgive you. Also, I stopped waiting. So, like, I think in in the movie she might have, like, become the owner of the diner, like, taking over from her mother, like, moved up in some way. The, the musical doesn't make explicit. But, yeah, like, so, like, she's moved on and become the cool person she wanted to be, but not so cool that she's no longer at this apartment above the diner that her <laughs> mom owns, which is good. She's, like, perfect level of cool. So we hear a little reprise of Take Me Back as essentially he finally breaks down. Like he cries. And you sort of get the sense that like he might not have cried yet. 
about his friends. Yeah. Like he holds out his fist with the tat with like you can see the forearm with the B tattoo, which presumably he got at some point. Yeah. I was like, you weren't there when they were getting tattoos. You were with Rose. Um and but like then the fist starts shaking and then it falls apart and then he just like his like whole body is shaking and then she like gives him a hug and she says, Welcome home and the show ends. Uh, so beautiful. And that's dog fight. For shows that are very sad, I don't come away feeling totally destroyed. Just, like, a little bit destroyed, which, like, so I don't know if that speaks to the show not being as effective as it could be or just, like, it's not super destructive. Also, she's the she's the only important character, and she turns out fine. She's great by the end. So we usually talk about Tonys on this podcast. This musical has not been eligible for Tonys because it has not played Broadway. Um, it got a bunch of nominations from the Off-Broadway Circuit, Outer Critics Circle, Lucille Lortel, Drama League, Drama Desk. Actually, it was mostly nominated. It has two Lucille Lortel Awards for... Best musical and choreographer of a musical, which is Chris Catelli. It, it lost a lot of nominations. Because like, the thing is, it's a solid, lovely show that I think could, like, use a little work. But it's just, like, a small, beautiful show, which is, like, the kind of show that I like. Yeah. Now's the part where we pick our uh, favorite and least favorite lyrics. Which would you like to start with, Oh, Mav? gosh. Okay. Um, let's go with our least favorite lyrics first. All right, what's your... So we your... end on a happy note. Okay. I picked out lyrics from that face because I generally don't really like that face. <laughs> yeah, the lyrics are, when I see that face, that unmistakable face, traffic halts, lover's waltz, that face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those are, those I know, are like, this. Lyrics. well, the song is supposed to be, like, this, like, joke about, like, your face is so ugly, it stops traffic, but, like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, I feel it. Um, mine maybe once again I'm being too harsh on comeback. There aren't a lot of standout lyrics in either direction. They're generally just of a consistent high quality yeah, standard. Yeah, I agree. Um, I went from um, comeback. Where do you go? I don't know. I don't know anymore. There is no before. The the thing that bothers me is just the there is no before because I don't know what he's to what he's referring because. The whole point of the rest of the song is that he's stuck in the past. Yeah. So he's like, only now they scoff, they spit, no parade. Like, I get that he's stuck in this terrible present. One verse later, he's saying, repeat, replay, each death, each day. What's your fave lyric? I think I'm just deciding in the moment that I'm really taken with um, the song Dogfight. Um, so there's lyrics that go, no, you can't give in and you can't play dumb. When you get thick skin, then you're quick to numb. If you let them win, then a dog's what you become. I just think those are like really succinct. I just like got powerful. more chills. Yeah, it's really succinct. It's really powerful. Um, it's essentially the entire song within like those lines. Um, so that's why I I, I chose them. Um, I thought I was gonna go for a really either powerful or witty lyric and instead I kind of split the difference and in some kind of time I love their refrain where they're just listing bits of Americana and just we're getting this insight to what America is at this time and it doesn't feel for so the goodbye to chili fries to apple pies and dinosaur so long to waffle cones new twilight zones and leslie gore farewell to chevrolets to willie mays the corner store so it's like we have these this image of like a picket fen white fence America at the time and like they're just giving us more texture to it. And I just think it's kind of lovely to like also remind us kind of that they're kids. Yeah. Anyway. 
Nava, thank you for being on the podcast. Of course, my pleasure. Was it scary? It was scary. It's my first podcast. Do you have a social media presence? Okay, cool. Just Just checking. Don't follow me. (laughs) Hey, good looking. You're so out of sight. I decided to stop and say hello. Hey, good looking. What you doing tonight? Don't do it for me. Do it for your country. Thanks for listening to Pick a Little Talk a Little. We're online at... P-A-L-T-A-L-Podcast.Weebly.com. We're on Facebook at Pick a Little Talk a Little and Twitter at Paltal Podcast. As always, we are edited and produced by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. She's at Twitter as WTFRJK. I am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz. You can find me on Twitter, Gabby Gazelowitz, G-A-B-Y-G-E-S-E-L-O-W-I-T-Z. Easy. Please rate us and review us. It really would mean a lot. Email us, paltalpodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hi. All right, thanks. And until next time, and as they say in the last five years, goodbye until tomorrow, goodbye until the rest of my life. You know, what if it was like Roger and Rent, who's like, it took me all year to write this. And it's like your eyes. And it's like, mm, once on glory was yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. This is a recurring theme. Um,